First Timothy chapter three. If you have your Bibles with you, First Timothy chapter three is where we'll be. We were supposed to begin this morning. The plan was to begin our or continue our series rather in uh, that we've been looking at all year called the best life where we've been examining how God defines our best life uh, that flows from His character, nature, and attributes as revealed in Scripture. And the genre we've been focusing on to examine that this year uh, has been the Old Testament wisdom literature and poetry. So we've walked through uh, so far this year uh, books like Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes and Job. And today we're going to pick up in Psalms, and the decision to change that is so recent that you have worship guides scattered throughout this room that say Psalms on the front. So that's just enticement to come back next Sunday, where we will begin a walk through Psalms that will take us all the way up to Advent uh, to, to learn more about this life God has created us to live. But we felt that it was significant enough uh, to postpone that and give our full attention to what we're doing today in affirming Joseph Stogner as a new pastor elder in the crossing church as the next pastor elder in the crossing church um, so this is really more of a continuation of our vision series we've been over uh, covering the last five weeks in which we're examining the qualities of the early church that make it distinct that made it distinct in the first century and makes it distinct even today and this ear mic is driving me crazy so i'm gonna keep fooling with it and seeing if i can get it to stop moving on my face how about that all right. It's significant in the life of a local church when new leaders are officially identified, assessed, and affirmed by the body of Christ. It speaks to the care and love God has designed for His people, that He would continue to provide biblically qualified leaders to shepherd His people. It's a picture of His love and faithfulness, as well as a desire to accomplish His mission. Because if we're going to accomplish the mission God has designed for the local church to accomplish, to, to, to fill the earth with the glory of Christ, as the name of Christ is made known, and as people are transformed by the gospel, it requires leadership. It requires people to be out front paving a way. And it's one more thing that makes us distinct as a local church from our culture that's distinct from any other group or organization. This idea of biblically qualified leaders who work as a team and aren't concerned and don't want to be individual superstars who desire the spotlight, but want Christ to get all the glory. So with all that in mind, this day really isn't as much about Joseph as it's about Jesus and his bride. As much as he loves his bride, how much he loves his bride, how engaged he is in accomplishing his mission. So if you're here this morning and, and you're in a hard place, which I'm sure a lot of us are, we have things we're struggling with, and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't, I don't really want to hear a sermon on church leadership and elders. That's not really going to meet the deepest need of my soul. I would encourage you to see this morning that that is part of how Jesus does want to minister to your soul. By providing biblical, qualified, healthy leadership to nurture you and care for you and make sure you are experiencing the, the life that God has created and designed to experience, that you would fully thrive as God has created and called you to thrive. 
Biblical leadership is part of that because a local church is part of that. And if you don't have biblical qualified leadership in the local church, you don't have a local church. You don't have what God has intended for you to fully thrive. We are not men intended to rule over you and lead an organization to accomplish missions and objectives. It's not what biblical qualified leadership is. We are men intended to serve you, to help you thrive. Because the healthier this body is, then the more Jesus will be made known in our city and beyond our city. The more we will multiply what Jesus has intended for the church to be. Because it's not just a few guys doing everything and being the superstars and everybody kind of watching and applauding them. It's the church unleashed in our culture. In December of 2014, our core group at the time, most of us traveled one Sunday to Huntsville, Alabama, to our ascending church, Summit Crossing Community Church, to uh, have or participate in a, a worship gathering where I would be affirmed as the first elder. They had taken me through a church planter school. Uh, they had spent time assessing me since we were just forming as a church. We didn't have elders in place to do that. And their elders took on that role for me. It was a, wasn't a process that was forced on us. You guys have to do this if you want to be a church plant. But it's a process we asked for. And we humbly and, and, and willingly submitted to. Because we, we have blind spots, spots. We can make mistakes. We can be self-deceived and think we're really this and we're not really that. Two years later, in November of 2016, we affirmed Kendrick as our second elder. Again, we asked the elders of Summit Crossing uh, to help out since we didn't have a plurality of elders at the time uh, to help be a part of that, and they were. And now Kendrick and I have spent the last 12 to 18 months walking Joseph through a similar process to bring him up to this point. We can share our elder process with you if you want to know. It's not like a secret process, like you're joining a sorority or fraternity. Very open about it. We want to tell guys up front, you want to be an elder in the Crossing Church? Here's what it looks like. It's not a biblically mandated process where you turn to a certain chapter and, and verse and you see it spelled out. It's a process that we've learned and we've adapted from others that give us, and when I say us, I don't mean elders, I mean us as a church, give us ample time to know a guy, to know that his relationship with Jesus is solid and growing and vibrant, that if he's married, he's shepherding his wife well, if he has children, he's shepherding his children well. He fulfills the biblical qualifications as far as we can see as outlined in Scripture, and he's a good fit for our church and our elder team. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5 to not be too quick to appoint an elder. And we have high marks in that regard. We're not quick. <laughs> We're very deliberate. And uh, becoming an elder in the, in the crossing is not, hey, let's go have lunch. Well, I like you and you like me. Let's do this. It's uh, time. It's time with people. And time with leaders. You have to be a member of the crossing for at least a year before you can enter the process. And it probably takes at least another year uh, before we get to the point where uh, we feel confident to present you to the church. Our desire, for as long as we are a local church, is that every time we do this, every time we bring a guy before you and say, here's who we feel led and called to affirm as the next elder in the crossing church, to join the elder team, you would resoundingly say, Yes, I see that guy as a pastor. I see that guy as an elder. I see that as a guy I want to follow. And there would never be a, eh, really? Him? And that's why you are an important part of this process. That's why we announced it to our church over two months ago. 
Because if you know anything about Joseph or his family or his work life or anything in his personal life that we don't know about, that we don't see, tell us. We, we have blind spots. We might overlook things unwillingly. We might ignore things willingly that we don't need to ignore and that we need to address. And so we believe that today we can celebrate this wholeheartedly for Joseph becoming a, a part of the team of elders to help lead us to make Jesus known. Let's first spend some time grasping who an elder is. I don't know much about the church background of everyone in this room. I know a lot of stories, but I was a solo, solo uh, pastor of two Southern Baptist churches before the Lord helped me to become part of this team to plant the crossing. And while I was a solo pastor, I discovered this biblical concept of plurality of elders. Never heard of it. Just thought that was a weird thing the Presbyterians did. In my experience, a local church had one pastor. So Pastor Appreciation Month in October, you made one cake with one name. and gave one uh, uh, basket of gift cards with one pile of cash for one guy. You didn't really share it with everybody else. Did anybody feel spontaneous today around lunch? Uh, now maybe uh, he had some associates, but there was one senior pastor. The pastor of the church. Who's the pastor of the church? It's him. And the more I discovered this biblical concept, the more I desired to experience this team of men leading the church rather than the weight being carried by one person. A group of brothers all in, equally invested and working together for the health of the local church. And by God's grace from the beginning of the crossing in the fall of 2013, God put me, Kendrick, and Scott together. Not yet as official elders, but as functional elders to help lead and guide us through the early days of establishing a church plant. And the three of us have been through a lot together over the last six years. Um, road trips and trainings and late night meetings and long texting and email conversations and things I can't mention uh, up here, but are funny stories that we've experienced together. I could just say words and they would start laughing. Joys, tears, grieving, celebrating, all this hard work of helping lead the crossing to follow Jesus and grow in his gospel and see this, this work flourish. And over time, God has brought some other guys into that process, and we believe more are coming. And our families have grown a relationship, and it's been quite a ride. We are an elder-led church. So we are an elder-led church led by a plurality of elders, which means for however many elders we have, we all have equal vote and voice. Our roles are certainly different, but there's no difference in how much weight we bring to the conversation. This is not a church where Jared is a senior pastor and Kendrick and Joseph are associates or any other model you want to draw up. Over the years of the crossing, I've been introduced to, to, to different people by you, and sometimes we're not sure what to say. What Jared's the, the lead pastor or lead teaching pastor, all these different titles we've come up with. But we would all be per perfect and, and would prefer if you just said, he's one of the elders. He's one of the pastors. That's good enough for us. We care more about roles and responsibilities of our elders than we do about titles. So let's spend some time looking at who elders are and what elders do. Beginning in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he must desire or he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer 
must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Father, thank you for your word and what reveals to us about what you've designed the church to be in biblical leadership in your church. Help us to see today. Help us to embrace, help us to understand and submit to what you've given us as a gift for our good, for us to thrive, for us to be who you've created us to be. Help us to understand all these things by the power of your spirit for the glory of Christ alone, we pray. Amen. The first thing that's obvious from this passage is that the role of elder or pastor is reserved for men. Now, if that's an, an idea that you struggle with, we would love to have a longer conversation where we could spend more time than just right now digging into that. But that's been the understanding of the church for most of the last 2,000 years. Only in recent generations has the Bible been interpreted differently to allow for female elders or pastors by some churches or denominations who have good and reasons and good intentions. It's not like they're saying, how unbiblical can we be? They have good reasons behind why they would do that. We would graciously disagree. We don't believe it's because the Bible was written in a patriarchal society. We do believe, in fact, it goes back to creation and not any particular culture. This is not a question of one gender being superior over the other. We simply believe it's what God's intended and designing different roles for different genders in the home as well as the church. And if you, we want to experience God's best and God's flourishing in all of life, we have to do all we can to line ourselves up with his creative design. If we lead as God intends for us to lead, servant leadership, lead as Jesus led us, then we believe women in the local church and in our families will actually thrive and flourish more than if we came up with a better system or structure that we create. Jesus and Paul and the rest of the New Testament actually did more to elevate the position of status of women than anyone else in the first century. And we want to do the same thing in the 21st century. In the first century, in the Jewish and Greco-Roman culture, women were little more than cattle. Jesus comes along with women disciples. Scandalous. Jewish rabbis didn't do that. Paul speaks of men loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Why do I have to do that? I basically own her. There are and will be women in the crossing who are smarter, work harder, they're more gifted to teach, with more administrative ability, and in some real ways do things better than our elders. And we want these women to be unleashed and to flourish under the leadership of Jesus, under the leadership of biblically qualified elders. We don't want women in the crossing church relegated to the nursery and the kitchen. In fact, when we're meeting as elders and, and elders in process, we often come to a particular issue, and, and we'll leave it at, all right, all right, guys, let's go talk to our wives. We've even had meetings where they've been a part of those meetings and discussions about things that we want to do as a local church. 
I can promise you every single guy who is an elder in this church or in the process to become an elder is heavily dependent on the voice and the thoughts of his wife. In all my years of being a pastor, there is no voice I have relied upon or gone to for, for counsel and confidence more than my wife, more than Jennifer. That's a good place for you, for you to say amen. Like, you don't want just me, I promise you. You want me with her. She is an incredible partner and gift of God's grace to me. But the actual role of elders reserved for men only. And the question is, what kind of man? Well, that's outlined in this passage. A man who aspires, they desire to be an elder. A call to serve and sacrifice and not to rule and exert power. Guys who think that God may be calling you to be an elder or a church planter, it's a call to die. It's a call to serve, to sacrifice constantly. It's nothing of glamour, power, authority, or ruling. Much of the pain in this room experienced at the hands of church leadership is because men forgot that or they never had it. If we aren't willing to sacrifice and serve you well, if one of our elder candidates in the future isn't willing to sacrifice and serve you well, he has no business being an elder in a local church. It's a man who's above reproach. There's nothing glaring or obviously sinful about how he lives. We want guys living in such a way that our membership is coming to us and saying, have you ever considered that guy as an elder in the local church? He's living it. He's a one-woman man, totally devoted to his wife. She is his queen. This is not an admonition that an elder can only have been married once or have never been divorced. That's a longer conversation that we'd be willing to have. This is not a statement of marital status, so single guys can be elders, but of spiritual maturity and health related to his marriage. He is only for one woman. He is not flirtatious with other women. His eyes are only for her. He's temperate, disciplined enough not to be controlled by things. He's not a glutton, a drunkard, a lazy, or obsessed with different things you can be obsessed in the, with in our culture, working out or eating healthy or football or addicted to social media. All of that can be enjoyed, but none of it controls him. He is sensible, prudent, reasonable has good judgment. He sees himself accurately. There's not a large gap between how he sees himself and how others see him. Respectable and honorable. They treat other, uh, others, all people with respect and honored, and it's reciprocated because of how well he treats other people. Hospitable. He opens his life, his home, to pursue people, those in the family of God and those who aren't in the family of God. He's willing and, and has a concern for the souls of people, and he gives his time to pursue them for their spiritual health and vitality. He's able to teach. Doesn't have to be a world-class communicator or a world-class scholar or theologian, but can he understand Scripture, know how to apply it, and explain it to either large or small groups of people in a way that they are learned, that they learn in a way that they are helped and they can live it out. Not addicted to wine. There is freedom to enjoy a drink within the right parameters, around the right people, for the right reasons, but we can't be in need of it or addicted to it and this person can and does willingly and lovingly lay down that right and that freedom for the good of others. He's not pugnacious, gentle, but rather gentle and peaceable. This person doesn't love conflict, but will engage in conflict when the need arises. You don't want a fighter unless there are wolf in the sheep pen. Then you want a warrior, but only to the wolf, not to the sheep. Not lovers of money. Money does not control them or worry them. They're able to be generous in giving because money is simply a tool your father provides. And he always, always provides. 
leaders of well-ordered homes. The home is the proving ground for elders for ministry. In the, way, in, in the home, the man has to lead well. Uh, to lead well in the home, the man has to continually sacrifice. So we want elders to be healthy husbands and healthy dads. Because if he's failing at home, he's no good to us. Lead well in the home before he leads anyone in the church. They are mature believers, won't be puffed up by pride being in, the, being in this role, but instead will continue to see their absolute dependency on Christ and find strength in their weakness and dependence on him. Good reputation with the outside world. He Go to the places that he works and shops and eats and hunts and works out and goes to school and the story will be the same. The neighbors will say the same about him. He's the same person everywhere he goes. There is a good reputation and consistency to, to him. Now, that's a good summation of who an elder is. Other than teaching, it's all about character. And what's interesting about that list, it's a pretty general description of who all of us are created and called to be as Christians. Elders are not some super spiritual uh, person living some kind of Christian life that's above and beyond what other Christians live. There is a, a consistency to it and is done in such a public way that the church can affirm it. That's really the only difference. We all live like this, and it's the Holy Spirit working to produce this kind of life in all of us. And so Christ gets the glory and not the person. So that's who an elder is. What does an elder do? In Acts 20, Paul is leaving Ephesus and saying goodbye to the elders he served with. And he said, beginning in verse 17, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. And when they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and our faith and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I Consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And I'll commit you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that I worked with my own hands to support myself and those who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it is necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And in 1 Peter 5, we read, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory 
about to be revealed, shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All you, of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. From these passages, we see elders and pastors who lead the flock. Elders in the book of Acts in the New Testament letters 20 times are mentioned as a group of leaders in the church. Every time you see a church started in Acts, you see them appointing not an elder, but elders to lead the church. Jesus, before ascending into heaven, gave this great commission to his people to go with his authority and make disciples among all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. The authorities that elders have to lead and govern the church only comes because Jesus gave it to us. And it's not authority to rule or dominate, because that's not how Jesus led, but to serve and guide. So we're a collection of believers called the Crossing Church in Monroe, Louisiana. We are called to make disciples here in Monroe and beyond. And how are we going to do that? Somebody has to give direction. Someone has to guide. Someone has to lead. And we believe the most biblically accurate picture of that is a team of men doing that, not one man and not taking uh, uh, group me polls or votes every time we have to make a decision. We believe the Holy Spirit appoints leaders to do that, as it says in verse 28 of Acts 20, to shepherd the church of God. And the constant question we ask is, as leaders, Jesus, this is your church. What do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? How do you want us to be faithful to carry out the calling that you've given us as a local church? How can we honor and glorify and make much of Jesus in everything we do? Holy Spirit, speak to us as we make decisions and make sure we are in step with the Spirit. And with the word more than anything else. They lead the flock. Secondly, they care for the flock. Again, shepherd the church of God. Same thing in 1 Peter 5. We encourage, edify, give course correction, coach you up, cheer you on. Sometimes uh, we do what shepherds do. They had to break the legs of the sheep. So they would be disciplined and stay with the flock until they get healthy, which is a, a picture of church discipline. So sometimes we have to admonish you in the word of God and and call you to account for your sins, which is not something that's only reserved for elders, actually something the body of Christ should do for each other. All a part of caring for your soul and keeping each other from wandering off to destruction and giving in to the desires of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. We nurture you by praying over you when you're sick, according to James 5. We give you God's word to nurture your soul. So shepherding, caring for the flock, thoroughly protecting the flock, being a pastor elder involves a protective element. Just as a shepherd would protect animals against those who would harm the sheep, so we are on the lookout for wolves. Paul mentioned in Acts 20 ravenous wolves that would come from among them even. This could be someone who comes into our church wanting to teach false doctrine. If we sniff it out, we're going to sit down and talk to them about that. And this find out what exactly they believe and sharing what we believe. And if there's not enough common ground, if they're not here to grow and learn by being teachable, if they're here to divide and persuade to false doctrine, then we will graciously but firmly ask them, don't come back. It could also be individuals who want to prey on our people in other ways. Someone just coming to build his business through relationships and everything becomes about him soliciting people. Someone wanting to engage with others in sexually inappropriate relationships. Someone wanting to prey on our children. 
We protect the flock from people who come in wanting to harm the flock. And we will be tough and have been tough with them and fierce. Just as much we, by God's grace, have been incredibly gentle and patient and, and kind towards sheep who are struggling to grow. To give you as much time and space as you need to grow and mature. Fourthly, they teach the flock. Paul commits them to God in his word of grace in verse 30, 32 of Acts 20. The authority we have as elders is completely and totally bound to the authority of the word of God. We are not the authority, the word is. And our authority lies only in us directing you to the word. This is seen most in 1 Timothy 3, where the list of qualifications for elders and deacons is almost identical, except elders must be able to teach. They have to have the same character, but elders have to have the gift of teaching. In Acts 6, when the church was overrun with problems concerning distribution of food among widows and deacons had to be appointed, the reason so that the elders slash apostles could spend their time teaching the word and praying. 1 Timothy 5.17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Titus 1.9, he, the elder, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also able to rebuke those who contradict it. So elders appointed by the Holy Spirit have a way of life that others can obviously see they are following Jesus, and if I follow them, if I live my walk with Jesus like they're living their walk with Jesus, I'm going to thrive spiritually. And we serve the body by leading, uh, leading the sheep, protecting the sheep, shepherding, nurturing, and teaching the word. This is what we look for in our current elders and in future elders. Are you serving well? Are you leading the way in sacrifice? Are you loving, are you loving others well? and doing what you believe is good for their soul by God's grace. You will never hear us say, well, I don't have to do that because I'm an elder. I don't have to pick up chairs or cook food or give or whatever. When we call you to do something, like the conversation amongst us as leaders has always been, okay, what we ask our people to do, are we doing it? Are we doing it first? Are we constantly pointing you to Jesus? Are we walking in humility and remaining teachable? Guys, if we're not, call us out. And there's a way to do that. I'll get to it in a second. Are we opening up our lives to you and inviting you in to know us, not trying to hide anything? Or we should live as elders in such a way that we can open the entirety of our life and you can examine it and find nothing grievous. Not sinless perfection. I hope nobody's hearing that. Definitely sin. We should be the first to admit to it. And we have DNA groups and accountability set up so that, that we have space to do that and guys to hold us accountable. But there's nothing grievous. There's nothing that would disqualify us as an elder. Look at every dollar I spend. Look at how I use my every, every hour each week. Look at the websites I pull up. Look at what I watch. There's nothing to hide. Nothing jumping off the page is glaring sins that show that sin is my master and not Jesus. What is your responsibility as a member of the church led by a plurality of elders? Number one, follow our leadership. Hebrews 13, 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, but for that would be of no advantage to you. 
just the weight of those passages, when I hear that as, as a pastor, as a, an elder, someone who has to give an account, like that, that should be so weighty on our hearts and minds and souls that it would scare away anyone who would pursue this for the wrong reasons. Like, oh, no. I do not want to stand before God and give an account for a group of people that I'm not qualified and called to lead. And they would only be men whom the Spirit has said, you do this, who would step up and say, okay, I'm willing to do that by God's grace, empowered by His Spirit. If we are leading you to love and follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus. If we are leading you to carry out the mission of Jesus, then follow that leadership. Sometimes we don't get it right. Sometimes we have course corrections. This is where we think the Spirit and Word is leading us right now. But as time goes, variables change, and okay, let's do this differently. That's kind of like the MC Shuffle we're talking about later today. With Kendrick and Amelia being sent to Dallas next year, we, we first started off thinking about what are we going to do with their missional community. We had no plans to redo all of our missional communities. But that's how the Spirit leads. You don't always know where it's going to go. And as we walk this out over the next several weeks and months, we may come back to you and be like, okay, we need to tweak this. We want to remain flexible. We want to be able to admit mistakes and course corrections, but we also want you to know that we see a path forward. We aren't just making this up as we go each day. We aren't just looking around, okay, they're doing that. Let's do what they're doing. We aren't being wishy-washy. But as God leads us, let's get on board and let's go. Secondly, Respect and love your elders. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. We want to be the kind of men who love you well, who serve you well. We're, we're taking the initiative for your benefit, and it's obvious. If you're, if you're falling off the map, if you're disappearing, if we haven't seen you in a while, you know that one of the men of the Crossing Church, hopefully more than one of the elders, a bunch of people in the body of Christ, in your missional community, but at least they're going to be coming after. Where you at? How you doing? What's been going on? We have no hidden agendas. No one's trying to build their own little kingdom. We want to be open to you in every way, and in return, receive your love back. Receive your respect back. And you give us the benefit of the doubt. Don't just naturally assume, well, he's just being selfish. He's just being simple. That's why he did that. But because of love, we give each other the benefit of the doubt. There might be times when we have to make a call, and you might be like, what? Why are we doing that? But as we've walked this out over the years, we've hardly made any decisions without checking with you first. Usually it's a, a big change, especially, okay, let's go talk to our mission communities about this. Let's see what they think. Maybe we're crazy. Maybe it's... 12.30 a.m., and we've been doing this too long, and now crazy ideas are popping up, you know? So we go back to you, and we hear from you, and we get feedback, and we tweak and make adjustments as we go. It's never been in our discussions, well, what can we do to aggravate our people? How can we mistreat them? Every decision, by God's grace, as far as we can tell, has been for our good. Thirdly, you confront them biblically. Matthew 18, verses 15 through 16. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. So if you have a problem with something you see in an elder's life, there's a biblical way to handle it. 
Go to him directly according to Matthew 18 and ask him if, you, if what you see is accurate. This would be a great test to see where our hearts are. If our immediate response is defensiveness, anger, self-justification, if we bow up at you, or are we responding in humility and are we being teachable? If we do that and, and we're teachable and we're not taking you seriously, then check with some others and see if they see the same thing, then come back to the elder again with two or three witnesses. If you get the same negative reaction, then bring it to the other elders. What we don't want to do is gossip spread rumors, tear down without ever confronting the elder. If the elder is in sin, because he is serving publicly, we will handle and rebuke him publicly so everyone in the church and everyone outside the church will know how serious we take sin. Sin is nothing ever to trifle with. Sin is nothing ever to shrug our shoulders at. Sin is so serious, Jesus had to die on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins. But by God's grace and power by the Spirit of God, we will lead well, serve well, be humble, be loving, be open, transparent, and communicate well so we're all moving forward together as a family of missionary servants. Practically, in closing, you see the benefit of leading the church as a team of elders in several ways. I'll just list them. This is from Jim Eliff. I think it sums it up well. Why we love having a plurality of elders. Number one, it expands pastoral care. So it doesn't have to be the solo pastor alone who cares for your soul. You're in the hospital, you're sick. Well, the pastor didn't come to see me. So, but the rest of the church did, and all the other pastors did. And you're saying you're not being cared for. It doesn't have to just be the solo pastor who is the conduit between you and the throne room of God, but it's a team equipping the entire body to care for your soul. It makes up for each other's uh, weaknesses as elders. If a, if a church is led by one guy, then you're going to basically have all the strengths and weaknesses of that one guy. But with a team, we can keep those lessened. It takes the pressure off of just one guy to make major decisions or difficult judgments or strategy. It increases the confidence of the church members and the leadership of the church because it doesn't just rise and fall on one man, but a team. It provides a stronger defense against false teaching. It protects individual elders from slipping into bad habits or false teaching themselves through mutual encouragement and accountability. Protects against pastor worship. One reason we don't advertise who's teaching each Sunday. Because we don't want people making decisions about whether they want to come based on who's teaching on one Sunday. One reason there are many Sundays you won't see one of our elders doing anything except worship with his family. is because we give our, our leaders Sundays to just rest. Just, just be a worshiper today. You don't have to do anything or have any leadership responsibility. Kendrick offered to me an extended preaching break before he's uh, sent to Dallas next year. So you won't see me preaching or leading on Sundays in November or December. So I can take that time away from those responsibilities to rest, to be recharged, to, re to refocus my attention on some other things that uh, I want to focus on before 2020. Can't do that if a church hinges on one pastor. And that usually doesn't happen unless the one guy makes a mess of his life through burnout, stress, or sin. So I'm thankful for the gift of this brother to me for the gift of that to our church, and that it comes from not a place of sin, but a place of health. It also promotes continuity of leadership. If an elder leaves one day, or uh, we get old enough, or something happens, and we die. Church is not just thrown into chaos, like, what's going to happen? The church can continue and be healthy because a team is already in place to shepherd the church. So we can send out a gifted and capable leader like Kendrick to plant a church in Dallas, and, and we're not like, oh, no, what's going to happen? Will the church continue? 
One day I can be sent out to teach or, or to uh, plant a church somewhere else. And the crossing will continue as long as Jesus wants it to continue. And the Lord is already sending us more guys who will stand before you one day and be presented as new elders of the crossing. It also protects against burnout, provides for the church an example of love, cooperation, and unity, and provides pastoral care for our pastors. We care for one another and to pour into each other. So today, we celebrate the affirmation of Joseph Stogner as the newest elder of the Crossing Church. We are uh, giving him a few gifts uh, that kind of speak to the significance, the uniqueness of this calling and this role. We're, we're giving him a, a book called The Pastor. It's basically a memoir of Eugene Patterson, uh, Peterson, uh, which speaks to the, the necessity in his life to learn from others who've gone before him and to be an example to those coming after him. And there's plenty of people in the church of God that have done that for him already. And he's doing that already for some others. We're giving him another book by Eugene Peterson, who's just a solid pastor, if you don't know who he is. Praying with the Psalms, a year of daily prayers and reflections on the words of David, which is a reminder to him to stay in the word, to feed his soul on the word. His effectiveness as a pastor, as a shepherd, He's going to tie closely to his relationship with the word and the spirit of God. Don't forget that. And another one that will be at my house hopefully this week is called The Imperfect Pastor by Zach Eswine, which is a reminder that he's not going to do it perfectly. That he's in desperate need of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that, that is what is unique about this role as a pastor. So Kendrick is going to come and lead us through that time of affirmation, but let's just take a moment to thank the Lord for the way he has designed the church to work. Father, I am so thankful that you have put all of this together. And even though it's messy at times and confusing and hard and difficult, it is also beautiful. In some way that can only be explained by the power of your spirit and the providence of your will, you accomplish your purposes through this messy thing called the local church. You take imperfect men and make them leaders. And we lead imperfectly, imperfect people. And yet somehow Jesus can be seen and the glory of Christ can spread and the gospel can change lives. Thank you that you're in charge of this. Thank you for the men that we, uh, you have sent us already. Thank you for the ones who are coming Thank you for their wives and the gift that they are to, to our church as well and their children. And we just pray that today, uh, as we continue to worship you, will be a time of celebration. Thank you for Joseph and Emily and Audrey and Oliver and Finn. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. So I'm not going to preach another sermon, don't have any fears of that, although I'm a lot less long-winded than Jared, so whatever. Um, I'm very excited about this morning for many reasons. It's uh, been a long process waiting on this day, and I'm ready to celebrate and feast and party. Uh, we want to We want to rightly emphasize all the things that need to be emphasized this morning, and we want to come around Joseph together as a church, affirming these things and in a way to honor him and bless him, but also uh, that this installment would be the beginning of something. It's not like all the planning and praying and studying leading up to this day as a culmination of things, but 
this is the beginning. We're launching out into something. So I just want to emphasize a couple of things and a couple of passages that Jared pointed out. Um, we, are, we are doing something today that's practical and it's physical. It makes sense. But also there's a spiritual weight behind it. It's, it's profound. It's got profound implications. The Spirit of God gives us life. Every individual member of the church has life in them by the Spirit of God that dwells in us. And that same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead gives us gifts to functionally live out the life He's called us to. And, and, and some of those gifts aren't just things we can do or dispositions or characters, but some of those gifts are people. It's the Spirit working in us and through us for this mission to make disciples. And He's given us people gifted in particular ways to minister to us, to equip us, to lead us in this mission. And by the power of the gospel, we are united as one body, the body of Christ. And Jesus is the head of that body, not the elders. We look to Jesus, our shepherd, our king, as under-shepherds, leading and equipping the saints for the work of ministry. We are family members. We are missionaries. We are servants of one another and servants of others. And pastors and elders, overseers, bishop, whatever you want to call them, they're all biblical. These are the servant leaders. These are the individuals chosen and called by God to lead the people of God. Ephesians chapter 4 speaks to this very well because Paul had a way with words that I just don't have. So let's read what he has to say. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. And he, God, gave himself or gave and he, God himself, gave some of the apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God the Son, growing in maturity with, to, the, to the stature, the measure, the fullness of Christ. We want to celebrate these gifts that are in us, and we want to celebrate these gifts that are people. And, and God gave these leaders a weight of responsibility that Jared did well to point out. I'll read them again for you first Tim, from First Timothy. An elder desires noble task, must be above reproach, husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, manages his household well, with all dignity, keeping with his children or keeping his children submissive, not being a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders. All of these things and more we use to assess the leaders of this church. But I want to point out how this passage ends. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. So much of the work we've done with Joseph has been not just an emphasis of you have to measure up. you got to be these things. It's lean on, lean into, depend on the grace of God because Satan hates you. He hates us. He hates what we're doing in Monroe. He wants to destroy the crossing church and he will do everything he can to kill, steal, and destroy the people of God. And who better to go after with more intensity than those who lead this work and those who are equipping the saints for this work? So it's not this list of demands that you have to meet these things that you have to feel pressure to maintain, but it's dependence on the work of the gospel in you and through you because there's an enemy who wants to disgrace you and catch you in a snare. And we see that happen 
all too often. Men of God, major influences, crashing and burning from burnout, from moral failures, from just getting tired and giving up. And we want to protect our, our leaders from that. So today is a day that not only are we recognizing Joseph as a leader, but we're asking you, the church, to help. We need your help. As I'm sitting over there listening to everything Jared's saying, I'm thinking, God, how? How am I an elder? I can't measure up to those things. And I'm reminded of the sweet grace that's brought me this far through my life and the grace that's in the people of God who have helped me along the way. And certainly among the top is my wife, as Jared said, of his. And so Joseph needs us, and we can celebrate his gift He's he, him as a gift to us. And then the recommendation of not only the elders, but the affirmation of this body of believer, believers, Joseph meets these qualifications and will assume the role of pastor. And it's evident in his gifts and his character that he's been called and equipped by God for this purpose. And so I'm going to ask Joseph if you would come up here. I, as I thought through how we would do this, I considered this the illustration of marriage. And what's interesting is marriage, hey buddy, marriage is an illustration of something greater, Christ and his bride, the church. And so in many ways, a a husband represents Christ, and in many ways, an elder represents Christ. And so as we think on these things, I want to do this kind of like a wedding. Joseph, being a pastor or an elder is not being endowed with special spiritual gifts and power and that you have access to God that no one else has. It's not a, an entitlement to reverence. It's not a gaining of unquestionable authority like whatever you said is the truth. But similar to a husband, a pastor is a servant seeking to sacrifice and to love and to serve the bride of Christ in such a way that the people of God would see that and honor it and respect it and want to submit to authority. And, and by God's grace, you have been gifted and equipped for this role. And, and by God's grace, you will be able to maintain anything he's called you to. And in a similar way, church, like a wife, the church can look to the pastor as someone trustworthy and gracious who would lay down his life for you. And if someone would lay down their life for you, you can honor and respect and submit and As Jared pointed out in Hebrews 13, we obey our leaders and submit to them so that they are because they are keeping watch over our souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this. This is an urgent thing to us. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So for our benefit and for your benefit, we all members of this body submit to that. Joseph, today, like a wedding day, we as the bride of Christ want to formally recognize the Spirit of God calling, qualifying, and gifting you as a pastor. We acknowledge his commitment, your commitment to this task and the commitment to honor God in all that you do following his example as a leader. We follow your example as a leader, understanding that we all ultimately submit to the headship of Christ. You are one of the under-shepherds of this church. We have a vow that we've written out, and I want to read through. There's nine points. If you would answer these in the affirmative to publicly declare before all these here uh, that you are submitting to this process, that you have submitted to this process, and you will continue to do so. 
And all this is understood to be by the grace of God. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit and because of the person and the work of Christ. If not for the gospel, none of this would be possible. So I'm not going to say every time, by the grace of God, the power of the Spirit, because of the gospel, but just know that's the case. Do you, Joseph, affirm your faith in Jesus Christ, submitting to Him in all of life? Do you affirm scriptures, Old and New Testament, to be the word of God, trustworthy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the ultimate, final, and only inerrant rule of faith and practice? Do you affirm our statement of faith and covenant and vision are in accordance to the truth of scripture? Do you vow in any, at any time that if you change your mind according to these statements, that you will Take it upon your own initiative to bring it before the elders to announce your change of views. Do you vow to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? Do you affirm that you have been led by the Holy Spirit to be an elder of this church to the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel? Do you vow to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of this gospel and the purity of the peace of the church whatever persecution or opposition may arise on that account? Do you vow to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public, and endeavor to adorn and elevate the gospel in every area of your life as an exemplary leader before this body of believers? And do you vow to take personal responsibility for the life of this congregation as an elder overseeing the ministries and resources of this church and to devote yourself in prayer, the ministry of the word, the shepherding of the flock in such a way that the crossing church will be continually blessed by your leadership. Amen. And now to you, the church, if you are a member of the crossing or if you're in process of that membership, would you please stand? And to everyone else, we're really glad you worship with us. Please come and continue to submit to the leadership in that way. But to you who stand, I'm going to read two statements. For the first, this is a declaration of your affirmation uh, that you will uh, love and respect Joseph. And I want you to respond, we do, to this first one. If you do, if not, we can talk after. Do you, the members of the Crossing Church, acknowledge and publicly receive Joseph Stogner as your pastor, a gift of God to our church? All right. And to this next statement, your response would be, we will. Will you love him, pray for him, and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish this mission set before us, giving him all due honor and support in leadership for the sake of the mission, to the glory and honor of King Jesus. Amen. Joseph, I'm going to ask you to sit here in a chair, and I'm going to ask you members and Joseph's family, and then anyone else that wants to come up, to please come and gather around him. Emily, if you and your little ones want to come close by, we can lay hands on them as well. <laughs> 